Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We are continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke, and we are in another passage that's going to talk about the cost of uh, discipleship, which we're in chapter 9, verses 46 through 62, I believe. So chapter 9, starting in verse 46, where we read this. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, Don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Jesus is not all unicorns and rainbows. There's a lot of things in here that uh, might push uh, against that image we have of this Jesus who's all loving. And uh, at least if we have an idea of love that's a very kind of soft version of love and doesn't have uh, a strong element of, of truth and conviction in it as well. Uh, th this passage, I, I I really feel for Jesus at moments in this passage, like uh, this first one, like we're already like he's he's revealing uh, so much to his disciples. He's, uh, you know, to Peter, James and John, he revealed his his heavenly form and identity. Uh, uh, he's he, they, they know he's the Messiah. He's told them the inside track about what this is going to mean, about how the Messiah is going to have to suffer and die and be raised again in three days. Like he's basically giving them all the goods and they just still don't seem to get it. They're arguing amongst themselves who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, uh, who's going to be the greatest amongst them. And, you know, we already saw this with following G Peter's confession that Jesus is illustrating that the path up, the path to being exalted, is a path that is downward into service and, and, and humility and maybe even humiliation. They just don't seem to get it. And, you know, I we, it could be easy to be judgmental, but one thing that always helps me is remembering that uh, based on context and historical uh, context that we know, 
all of these disciples were probably teenagers when they were following Jesus, except for Peter. And we know this because of a passage where uh, they have to pay the temple tax. And when they find the coins in the fish that, you know, the two coins, one's for Jesus and one's for Peter, means that they were above 20 years old. Everyone else was under 20. These were teenagers. And, you know, I, I, I've been working with teenagers recently. I love working with teenagers, but they have a lot to learn. And sometimes it takes a while because they just don't have any experience. And that's the situation where the disciples are in. I think they just don't seem to get it. But Jesus is you know, very soon going to have to hand this ministry over to them. And they're so concerned with self and so concerned with ego. And they don't get it that the, you know, Jesus brings in this little child to illustrate that really the path to greatness is a path of humility and path of service. And then they run into this other situation where there's some people who aren't part of the group. And John says, well, we told him we, we shut that down because he's not part of our group. And I, I feel like this kind of factionalism is something that permeates every human society. And so there's all of this going on. And then people who want to follow Jesus and they don't understand the cost to it. It's almost like Jesus is, is almost like trying to dissuade them. He's not like trying to get more followers. He's trying to um, dissuade people from following him unless they're willing to be committed. And we could get into all the historical details about what it means to go bury your father, say goodbye to your family and all that. But I think that the main point is simply that Jesus is once again emphasizing that in the kingdom of heaven, our connection is it, uh, our connection is to God and to each other through what we have in common through Christ, and our spiritual family takes precedence over even our natural families. That doesn't mean we can abandon our natural families. Hopefully, our spiritual family makes us take care of our families even better than we would have otherwise. But the kingdom of God, Jesus is not willing to take second place in our lives. Jesus demands to be not just our savior but our Lord, otherwise there's not really much sense in following him. He says, you know, if we're ashamed to, uh, ashamed of the son of man, if we're ashamed of him, then he's going to be ashamed of us when when he returns. Uh, Dave, I, I, I'm trying to get through this real quick, but I, I'm wondering what you see in this passage, because uh, as it turns out, you're going to be preaching this two Sundays from now. And so I know that your head is steeped in this passage right now. What are some of the things you see here and, and uh, maybe aren't even going to develop for the sermon, but you think are important details in today's passage? So I think the first thing that really jumps out at me is actually the very first thing that you read is then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. And I just think here again, like this is so uh, real. It's, it's, it may be not only so relatable, it's a little too, it's uncomfortably relatable. Uh, that, I mean, honestly, I, I'm the pastor of a church, right? And, you know, I'm supposed to be like humble and uh, and yet, how many times have I been envious of, of other pastors who are, you know, better preachers than I am or more gifted than I am in some other way, have kind of getting more attention than I do or whatever. And, and there is this longing, like, you know, to, to kind of want to get, move up the hierarchy. And, and here they're standing next to Jesus and they're wondering, who's the greatest? And you're like, uh, you're, you're standing next to Jesus. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the wrong question. Um, but I just, it's just a reminder of, of how human these people were. But he, here's the other thing. Uh, you know, Matthew writes a gospel. Matthew was a disciple. Luke, not a disciple. Luke is not one of the 12. He wasn't there for any of this. So he's learning about it secondhand from the disciples, which means the disciples are telling these stories like, oh gosh, yeah, okay. So here's what we did one time. 
you know, and you can imagine them telling that story with that sense of chagrin, like, oh, I am, I can't believe that was me. You're kind of like, you know, when you look at yourself with, you know, pictures from, you know, what you wore in the 1980s, you know, like, oh goodness, I can't believe that was me. Um, but that's, you know, I think that's exactly what, uh, what the, the disciples are thinking as they must be, as they're telling these stories. And, you know, in a sense, how humorous and in another sense, how sort of embarrassing, right? Jesus brings a little child into them, right? Because he knows what they're thinking. So they're obviously not arguing in front of Jesus because that would be a little bit too embarrassing. But Jesus knows what's going on in their heads. And so he says he knew their thoughts. So he brought a little child to his side. And he said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And whoever and who welcomes anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father. Whoever's least among you is the greatest. And he just, you know, turns the kind of our natural way of thinking on its head. And but of course, this is what these, these people are going to eventually learn from Jesus. They're going to learn it from Jesus. They're going to see it in action in Jesus. And then they're going to receive the Holy Spirit of Jesus, Jesus. And they are going to be transformed. They are going to be different than this one day. But they're not different yet. And even that is an encouragement to me because I'm not as different yet as I hope to be one day. I'm different. I'm different than I was. But my goodness, Jesus better not be done. And I have every reason to assume Jesus isn't done, right? And the same transformational work that Jesus did in these disciples, Jesus can do that in me. Jesus wants to do that in me. So that's the first thing I see. The second thing I'd say is kind of just about the end. I'm actually going to be preaching on this, as you say. I'm going to be preaching on this in a week and a half or so uh, on, on a Sunday. And so my mind actually is pretty deep in this passage. Um, but verses 57 to 62, if you just read them without context, without understanding, honestly, I mean, I don't know if it's okay to say this. I hope it's okay to say Jesus looks like a jerk, right? Here he's been asking people, follow me, follow me, follow me. Suddenly you got these people who... One guy, verse 57, says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And But Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests. And the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Jesus, what are you talking about? And like, why aren't you just welcoming this guy? Why aren't you excited? You finally got somebody who's taking you up in your offer. right? He said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed, verse 59. But he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. That seems like a pretty reasonable request. You know what I mean? Like, you can imagine Jesus, pastoral, gentle Jesus, loving Jesus. Saying, oh, geez, I'm so sorry to hear about your father. And that must be terrible. I'm sure you're just brokenhearted. Tell me about him. How are you doing? How's your family doing? You, you can imagine a lot of ways that Jesus might have responded. Not how Jesus responded. It says, but Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. For that your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. In fact, that word, let the spiritually dead, spiritually, it's not in the, the actual text. I think I think the NLT translators added it probably because they're just embarrassed by how harsh this sounds. But actually, I don't think that's what's happening here at all. All right, we're going to get into this in much more detail in, in a week and a half. Uh, but that, that actually, in that culture, people buried, dead people were buried immediately, you know, within hours of passing away. They, they didn't just... Let the corpses hang around for days or weeks, as we might do today. So there's no assumption that the father is dead or is even dying. Basically, this guy's saying, hey, I do want to follow you. I want to follow you someday. I want to follow you once all of my other obligations are done. Once my parents have passed away, I've taken care of them. 
you know, which could be 20 years. Once that's done, believe me, Jesus, I am all about following you. And I think how many of us do that same thing? You know, believe me, once I get into college, graduate college, you know, get a career, uh, advance far enough in my career, economic stable, can buy a house, can have kids, can get married, you know, would I get my kids into college once, you know, I can retire. Believe me, when that happens, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus is saying, stop waiting. Don't, don't follow me then. Follow me now. It, I, again, as you kind of reread this in its context, in the historical and cultural context, you understand this is really different than the way that we see it at first glance. Uh, and I'm saying this only because as I you know, saw that this is the passage I'm supposed to preach, as I read through it, it kind of initially, I thought, wow, this makes Jesus just seem awful. But of course, the, as I've been sitting with it and reading it and, and thinking about kind of making some of the, the connections to the Old Testament, some of the connections to the, the culture, I realized, wow, there's, this looks so much different as I've been sitting with it. And, and I hope to help you see kind of that it's a little different when uh, when we tackle this again. Anyway, we'll get back to it. Stay tuned. <laughs> and, and, and even... Um, even with the perceived harshness that may not be accurate, I, I think at the same time, there is uh, it is loving for Jesus to call people to a high bar. I, I just remember the story of this kid who wanted to buy this horse and all he had was $17. And that's what the guy asked for was the $17. Obviously, that doesn't cover the price of the horse. But because it was everything that that child had, he would value and love the horse all that much more. He'd be that much more invested. And I think Jesus asks something similar from us, not because we earn it in some way, but because that's how we really experience the blessings and benefits of, of being part of, of God's family. So anyway, that's my thought on it. Uh, let me uh, close this in prayer as we're finishing good. up here. Our good and gracious God, we, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that even through these uh, trying and difficult and confusing circumstances. You didn't ditch your disciples. You didn't abandon them. Even when they're fighting over things they should never fight over. And Lord, uh, it, it, more than anything, I see your incredible grace and patience with us. Lord, help us to value the tremendous gifts that you've given and not seek after um, unimportant things like who's the greatest and, and, and those type of pursuits of pride and vanity. Lord, help us to pursue you who are the greatest Lord, may you be greatest in our lives, that we would lay aside everything in order to follow you, and that others would be blessed by us as you change us to be even more loving, even more faithful, that being with you will change us so that we can be a blessing to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, so we're so thankful you joined us for another week as we are walking through Luke, and we look forward to seeing you when we pick this back up again on Sunday, and then right here again Monday morning.